If you would please turn to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 21. Unlike normal, I will not be reading our passage to begin with because of its length. But we will work our way through it throughout. So let's ask the Lord for his blessing and presence. Father, we together ask that you, as you do so well, mercifully allow us to continue to worship. Now over the word, over our hearing, over the work of what you are doing, Holy Spirit, in our differing hearts. You are so good so precious so help me as a pastor as a teacher as a preacher be faithful to this text and move in our midst to the glory of the Lord Jesus amen the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans Chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the telling of. It, it, it is the unfolding. It is the clarity of of the message of Jesus Christ that is the power to save souls. It is not the good news about any of our personal experiences as Christians. Our testimonies are not the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus who is God, who became a human being in order to offer himself as a substitutionary sacrifice on the cross for the sins of all who would believe in him. And that God vindicated that act and that person by raising him from human death to human immortality. And he ascended on high and is there today and he will return in order to judge the living and the dead one day and to gather together and to bring everlasting resurrection life to every sinner who loves him, trusts him. That forgiveness of sins forever, that eternal life promised is for every sinner who will have it. They cannot earn it. They cannot do any religious functions in order to get it. They can only receive it, or the way the Bible calls it, believe that gospel. That's the power 
to save souls for eternity. Now, having said that, every one of us who is a Christian, we have our stories. We all have a testimony of the work of God in our lives. But our stories are not the gospel. And the gospel is not our stories. But our stories are important servants in carrying the gospel to various persons or groups and the connection and the bridge from our lives to that gospel. And so in our passage, as we will be reading through it, Paul never actually got to the gospel because he was cut off and he was shut down by the screaming audience that he had. But he was going there. Paul began his testimony here in Acts chapter 21. This testimony of his own personal radical change in his life. So let's go to the passage. Chapter 21 of Acts. Remember the context where we, where we were, what we saw last week. Paul has finally made it back to Jerusalem. He has been longing to. He's been longing to preach there. He's been longing to evangelize there. And James and the, the elders asked him to take these four Christian Jewish men into the temple in order that Paul would show that he's a Mosaic law-abiding Jew, is a Christian, and so he does that. And let's pick up with verse 26, Acts 21. Then Paul took the men, and on the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days, which was Paul's purification, to be able to do what he was going to do, it was a seven-day thing. When, when Paul's seven-day purifications were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man! who is teaching everyone, everywhere in the Roman Empire against the people, that's us, the Jews, and against the law, the law of Moses, and against this place, the temple. And moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Okay, let's pause there. You've got to remember that this is not like Temple Bethel down the street, a large church building on a corner. This is the temple in Jerusalem. It is massive. During that time, if you took the entire city of Jerusalem and broke it up into six equal parts, the temple grounds took up one whole part. It was one-sixth of the city. It was more than a quarter of a mile long. Almost a quarter of a mile 
wide. And in the very center were these, these glorious buildings. Remember the tabernacle in the wilderness and then finally into the temple where you're going to have the holiest place of all behind the curtain with the Ark of the Covenant and then the holy place and you got the lampstand and you got the bread of the presence and then before that you have the, the altar where animals are being slaughtered and burned and the priests do their duties and that place is huge. Beyond that then as you go outside of that there's these massive outdoor courtyards where Thousands and thousands of Jews at once have rooms to mingle in the temple grounds. That's not the end of the temple yet. Then there's a wall that separates that area because that area is only for Jews. Then there's a wall that separates it into another courtyard that goes all the way around four square that's called the court of the Gentiles, where again, thousands and thousands of people, like, like flowing out of the L.A. Coliseum after a football game, can, can mingle there. This is the context. So, of what we just read. Here's Paul. It is almost a week later now of going through all this ritual. And some non-Christian Jews from the city of Ephesus recognize Paul there. There's Paul in the temple, and they hate his guts. Remember, Paul was in Ephesus for over three years. Okay? Some of the Jews were converted. Many were not. Eventually, he had to leave the synagogue there and set up shop elsewhere. And so what they began to do was to yell out in that courtyard of the Jews, Help us! This is the guy! And they told lies, like he brought Gentiles into this Jews-only place. Look at verse 29. That's what Luke is communicating to us in 29. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, they know who he is, this Gentile Ephesian Christian who came with Paul to Jerusalem. They had seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with Paul in the city of Jerusalem. And they supposed though he didn't, that Paul had brought him into the temple, the Jews only section. This mob that they're gathering now intended to kill Paul. Look at verse 30. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once... The gates were shut. This is clearly the gates from the Jews' only courtyard into the courtyard of the Gentiles. And they were beating the snot out of Paul. Read on. And as they were seeking to kill him, Word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Now stop for a minute. The, the, the tribune, he's over a thousand soldiers. And there's centurions under him who are all over 
you can hear the word century, a hundred soldiers. And what we're going to read next, how did they get there and save his life so quickly? Because they're stationed right there in the tower of Antonia, which is actually connected to the outer temple wall and goes up. So they can constantly look down into the temple grounds to see if there's a revolt against Rome or something stirring there. And so... We read on, he at once took soldiers, probably a couple hundred of them, and centurions, and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains and he inquired to the crowd, who, who is this guy? Who is he? And what has he done? Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, and some were shouting another. And as he, the tribune, could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks, going up the stairs from the temple courtyard, to be brought to the barracks and when he came to the steps he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd for the mob of the people followed crying out away with him and as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks he said to the tribune may I say something to you and that shocked the tribune, just those words, because is what you read. You know Greek? Are you not then the Egyptian who, who recently stirred up revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Is that, are you that guy? In other words, and we know this historical account because the first century historian Josephus also tells this. This is a revolt that actually happened three years before this day, right here in AD 54. Josephus actually calls these assassins dagger men. They would have daggers. And they would go in the midst of crowds. And when they knew, there's a Roman sympathizer. Okay? A Jew who is okay with Rome. They would, in the midst of the crowd, stab him. And then disappear. This is what had happened. So Paul answers, no, it's not me. He replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you. Think about this. Okay. They beat him. He's bloodied. He's bruised. He's hurting. They wanted to kill him. And he says to the tribune, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when the tribune had given him permission, because now Paul was up on the steps, so now he can look down at the whole crowd. Paul, standing there on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew 
language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he had, was addressing them in the Hebrew language, which here it is Aramaic, they were a little stunned. And they became even more quiet. And now the stage is set for Paul to give his testimony. He begins by telling them of his life before he became a Christian. I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God. Listen to this. As all you hundreds of people who just tried to kill me, I was zealous for God, as all of you are this day. My proof? I persecuted Christians. I persecuted this way. That's what they called Christianity then. I persecuted it to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders, the Sanhedrin, they can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem in order to be punished. So Paul here lays out his pre-Christian biography. Where he's from. His educational background. And then what drove his life and his passion. Where he's from, 300 miles up north, born in the city of Tarsus. But he tells them, my formative years growing up were right here in Jerusalem in this city. I am born and raised a Jew like all of you. I know this city and the temple culture really well. And then he lets them know he was highly educated. I mean, they didn't call it this in those days, but he was essentially a Ph.D. at the main seminary in Jerusalem under the recognized great first century Jewish scholar Gamaliel. And he tells them that in that he was religiously a fundamentalist, a Pharisee. That's what he means by according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. So he's saying to them, I, as, as a non-Christian, I had a deep zeal for God. 
and his evidence he unfolds was that I made it my life's goal and occupation to systematically chase down and imprison, if not kill, fellow Jews who were believing in Jesus as the Messiah. He says, you don't believe me? You go ask the high priestly family of Caiaphas and Annas and John. Go ask them. Go ask many of those who are still sitting on the Sanhedrin who were there 20 years ago. I was their chief law enforcement officer against this Jesus sect. That's how he begins. Paul's clarity about his pre-Jesus life as a non-Christian. It should encourage all of us who are Christians to reflect on our own pre-Christ life. And reflect on how we use it as a testimony in order to build bridges to the gospel that saves. As believers... And I know some of us came to Jesus later in life and some very early. But we all came if we have come. And we should never forget our lostness, our hopelessness, or our godless lifestyles that we lived. Remembering them, remembering them should stir up again and again affection for our God that just causes a deep thanksgiving. That's why so many millions of us have loved to sing the hymn over the last 150 years. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved, because we're looking back now, a wretch. Like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. But now I see. And it is precisely that past context of Paul's. His Christ-hating passion that he just laid out. That is, that's the stage that is set now what he goes on to do. For the beauty of God's saving grace to him. And so he stands on those stairs and he bellows out to the crowds. I once was blind, but now I see. Let me tell you what happened to me. As I was on my way, and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, sir? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, 
whom you are persecuting. And now those who were with me, they saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, who also came to arrest Christians. And we came into Damascus. And then one man, one Ananias, a devout man, a devout Jew according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, he came to me. And standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and I saw Ananias. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So in telling them about what this law-keeping Jewish Christian man Ananias said to him, because the Lord told him to say it to him. When Paul gets there here now in his testimony, he's actually beginning to touch on the gospel. Ananias said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one. And to hear a voice from his mouth. Ananias, a Jew up in Damascus who came to faith in Jesus, says to Paul, the very God we've been studying all our lives, the God we believe in, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Hebrew Scripture, he is the one who caused you to see His eternal Son who had been resurrected from human life on the road to Damascus. But he didn't say it that way. He said he caused you to see Jesus. That's clear what he's talking about. But he calls him the righteous one. The righteous one. Prophesied about in Isaiah 53 verse 11. Saul of Tarsus knew exactly what that referred to. The crowd that Paul is giving his testimony to there that day, they know exactly what that refers to. They know Isaiah 53. Well, the righteous one. The most explicit text, 700 years before Jesus came, about Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection. You know parts of it, right? 
He was despised and rejected by men. Who? The righteous one, my servant. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put the righteous one. My servant, says Yahweh. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. There's a resurrection. He shall prolong his days. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall, here it is, the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Justification by faith alone. And he, the righteous one, shall bear their iniquities. They knew this text. And so Ananias said to Paul, at the direction of the resurrected Lord Jesus, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will and he appointed you to see with your physical eyes the righteous one and to hear his voice in your ears. So Paul here, he testifies to this crowd. Essentially, yes, and I, since then, have publicly identified with the Messiah, Jesus, the righteous one foretold in Isaiah 53. And yes, I was baptized. I am a Christian. That's what he says to them. That's what God did for me. And in response to his encountering me on that Damascus road, I called on Yahweh, who is Jesus, from that town of Nazareth. And all of my sins are washed away. I once was blind, but now I see. Let me tell you what happened. To me, that was Paul on that day. What is your experience? What is your testimony? Notice, Paul, in his telling his testimony, it's clear. He was completely undeserving of this salvation. He did nothing in order to deserve seeing Jesus. 
And the same is true of us. No, none of us who are Christians in this room, none of us have ever seen Jesus in the way Paul saw Jesus on the Damascus road. But every actual Christian has seen Jesus the way Paul saw him. In 2 Corinthians 4, when he writes, And even if our gospel, the message of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, even if that, as we tell it, it's veiled, it's like a veil lies over people's hearts, it is only veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers in order to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then he says, but this, he says, we Christians, but God who said at the beginning of the Bible, let light shine out of darkness. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We were blind, but now we see every single believer, an eight-year-old, or an 80-year-old is uniquely special to the Savior with unique personalities, with unique family of origins, with unique pre-Christ experiences, whether that's a really long part of the life or very short. All of those life circumstances have been orchestrated by our sovereign God so that all of us could say, I once was blind, but now I see. Let me tell you what the Lord did to me. Well, have it. And we're all unique. I'm not a Jew from Tarsus. It's not my testimony. I'm not this Jew from Tarsus who took pride in religious practices according to the Mosaic law. But I came almost 2,000 years later, raised in El Segundo, California in a Roman Catholic family. I grew up believing in God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Ten Commandments. Since I was five years old, I agreed to what I was told, that yes, Jesus is God who died on a cross for our sins and was really and actually resurrected from the dead. Intellectually, I knew that stuff was true. And I grew up doing the works 
doing the duties I was told to do in order to get to heaven. Don't miss Mass. It's a mortal sin. Take communion. Go to confession and do penance. Do the penance that the priest tells you to do, which was always reciting rote prayers over and over. Do it, Joe, because as you do that, your sins, the mortal ones that have killed you and are going to send you to hell, are now washed away again and again and again and again. That's my growing up, along with in between each Sunday. I did what I really wanted to do. Sin. Stealing. And drunkenness. And pot smoking. And arrogant pride. And pornography. And lying. And disrespecting parents. But you know what's funny about it? When I'm 12, and I'm 14, and I'm 17... In my mind, God and I were okay. So I thought. So Paul thought, even while he's dragging Christians into jail because they're Christians, he thought, I'm not just okay. I'm really okay. Until God encountered him. And then he realized the reality of the situation. And that was my life. And then at the age of 19, God's grace came upon me and threw me into a bout with depression, into deep sense of lostness and purposelessness. And then within a couple months of that, I found myself for the first time in my life, all of a sudden yearning to actually read the Bible and the Gospels. Never done it before. All the basics of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that are always in my head. I was raised to know those basic things. What happened back then at age 19 is that all of a sudden they went from merely my intellect and dropped out into my heart, into my affection. Or as Bob loves to call it, they drop down into my knower. I knew these things in a very different way. They were so intimately personal to me in a way that they never were before. I knew this is the greatest possible news that I just read about the Passion Week and the resurrection. Because by God's grace I was hearing and not merely with my head, 
but with my heart. I didn't know I was not a Christian until I became a Christian. Until the Holy Spirit made me a Christian. I once was blind before that, but now I see. And so what did I do? Told it. Let, let me tell you what the Lord Jesus has done for me. And then we know how that works, right? We all come to Jesus and we tell our stories leading them into the gospel that saves us and what we believe. Can you see it? And we know what happens. People just flock to Jesus because of it. And so my parents and my five siblings and my fellow employees, they all just came to repentance and faith in Jesus because I gave them my testimony and the gospel. Not quite. And that's all of your story too. But over time, and this is many of your stories, some of those people eventually did. The same God who saved us uses our testimonies as servants to the gospel in order to save whomever he wills. And sometimes... The immediate response to our testimony and to the gospel is only negative. As our passage goes on to show. Pick up in verse 17. So Paul tells him, then when I returned to Jerusalem from Damascus, which we know from other texts was three years later, he eventually got back to Jerusalem three years later, and I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance, and I saw him, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste. And get out of Jerusalem quickly. Because they will not accept your testimony about me. Oh, Paul wanted to be there for a while. That 20 years earlier than where we're at in the passage today. He wanted to give this speech, this sermon he just gave. But Jesus said, no, don't do it. They will not listen. Okay. This is the sovereign Lord of the universe. God has become man, raised and ascended. And Paul's going to argue with him. What are you talking about? Of course, look at my testimony. How could they not believe? Jesus, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, there are tons of synagogues in Jerusalem. 
One synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. I'm going to go tell them, I believe in you now. They're all going to come flocking to you, Jesus. And, and when the blood of Stephen, your witness, when it was being shed, I myself was standing by approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Okay, his whole point is, Jesus, I think, you sure? Because my testimony is so powerful. He's sure. Get out of town. And so the Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away from Jerusalem to the Gentiles. Now, it's stunning. I think that's where we're going next week. Think of some of the stuff he said. The righteous one of Isaiah 53. That's Jesus from Nazareth. They kept listening until he mentioned the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And so they didn't let Paul unfold the gospel. He would have loved to have a few more hours. And sometimes people in our own lives are so hardened, they won't let you go there either. What do you do? You move on. For the time being at least. You move on. And you continue to love the Lord Jesus. You continue to let your life and you continue to let your testimony and your passion be a servant of sharing the gospel with others. Let your journey through this earth be. I once was blind. As, and maybe as a decadent hell's angel or raised religiously. I once was blind, but now I see. Let me tell you what the resurrected Lord Jesus has done for me. And then you always make sure that leads into being clear about the gospel. Not your experience now. What it is that changed you. What the message is that you believe. So, we're going to close this morning. We're going to sing from our hearts what we've heard. Such amazing grace. If you believe. The saved wretch like me. And you, as yet still a sinner, 
You feel it. Oh, I'm still so undone. Yes, but you're justified and assured. Assured of your future resurrection and glory with Christ Jesus, our Lord. I was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for such a glorious gift, the gospel, the good news of your son. And I pray that any hearts, any eyes that have not seen and any ears that have not heard by the grace of of your call and the grace of regeneration that you would do that for our fellow sinners here to the glory of Jesus amen